you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to Genesis. Yeah, Genesis. The first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 17 to begin with this morning. All righty. I've been asked a lot, and we've gotten a, a number of calls here this week asking and, and offering uh, assistance and help and whatever it is you need. Is there any way that we can help you? Those kinds of things. And uh, there's been a lot of folks praying throughout this week, not just for Pastor Mark, but for uh, myself and Heidi and Rachel and, and all of us here as we're preparing and uh, doing things maybe a little bit different over the course of this week because uh, we're a man down in the office. Uh, which just means I got an extra donut, but other than that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things that uh, are, are a little bit differently. And uh, so as we get into our text today, we're going to look at uh, a number of things as it relates to uh, our plans in life and how sometimes they don't always uh, work out the way that they're supposed to. But uh, as the week was going and people are asking these questions, I'd be like, oh, I'm fine. Things are going good. Uh, thank you for your prayers. I think I'm feeling those because I was not feeling stressed or anxiety or anything. Uh, but that was in part to your prayers, in part because I think I was just keeping myself busy, busy, busy uh, until this morning. And then it was like time to get ready for uh, you know preaching the message now. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to lose it. Uh, and, and I got up here a little bit of a blubbering mess. So if you were here this morning uh, or at 9 o'clock and you're now here for the 11, thank you. You actually wanted to hear something other than my tears. <laughs> and so I appreciate you being here. But uh, I don't want to take away, however, from what the Lord did communicate uh, this morning. And uh, he was able to communicate and allow you to see uh, my heart and my struggles this week uh, that I didn't realize I was having. Uh, and so the message, as we look through and uh, check out God's people throughout the Old Testament here and how God had a plan for his chosen people, uh, he also has a plan for us, his children, his people here today. And uh, I was going through the heart of this message personally throughout the whole week. So if there's anybody in this room that needs it, I do. And I did, and I still do. And I pray that the Lord will uh, take these uh, words that we're going to discuss and talk about this morning and impress those upon your heart and your life to recognize that uh, you need these just as much as I do and just as much as Israel did as well. So let's get into it. Genesis chapter 17. So question, have you ever had a plan that didn't quite come to fruition the way in which you expected it to? Right? Everyone in this room probably saying amen, and you've got a, a flood of, of memories coming to your mind right now of, of things that didn't quite happen the way that you expected. Maybe your plans fell apart completely. Again, I think we can all relate to that. Uh, and then many of us can relate to the uh, words of Hannibal Smith. I love it when a plan comes together, right? Because sometimes our plans do work out just fine, and, and, and it, everything's great. But as we can all attest, this isn't always the case. When I was in high school, anybody in high school? Anybody still in high Some of you are still in high school? Some of you look a little old to be in high school, but hey, hey, that's all right. 
But all of us, or most of us, probably uh, remember uh, something of our high school years. And for me, I remember being in high school and planning out my life, right? You plan where you're going to go to school, what the job's going to be, all those things. I had it figured out. I knew exactly what school I was going to. I knew what my major was going to be. And in high school, I even knew who I was going to marry. Some of you are chuckling. Because I didn't meet Julie until I was 26, I think. But I knew. I had a plan. I knew who I was going to marry. I knew what my occupation was going to be. I was going into full-time Christian camp ministry. You can see how well that worked out. right? So I had my plan. But in the midst of me creating this master plan for my life... Even though I was planning to go to Christian school, planning to marry a Christian woman, planning to go into Christian ministry, I was losing sight of God the entire time. I was losing sight of God. I underestimated his plan for my life, and in doing so, I missed, especially in that moment, and certainly didn't seem to appreciate how he was providing for me, how he was protecting me, how he was... This is where I lost it last time. Come on. I lost sight of how he was protecting, preserving, preparing me. And I wasn't able to see his power on display in my life, and I lost sight of his promises for me. All because I was too focused on my plan. We can have plans for our life. That's not a problem. But the problem comes when we take our plans and make those supersede God's plans. So I'm sure I'm not alone in this story that I have shared. I would hazard a guess that many of you could identify with my story in some way, shape, or form. This morning, I'd like for us to take a look at a group of people in Scripture who share the same lack of sight as God was leading them, and that's Israel, God's chosen people. We find that God made covenant with them. He made promises with them. He guided them, provided, and protected them in so many ways, and yet they continued to miss it to make the wrong moves, wrong choices, wrong decisions, and doing so miss out on, I'm sure, countless blessings that God had in store for them. Israel misunderstood, or excuse me, underestimated. They misunderstood a lot, but they underestimated God in so many ways. And so do we. And so as we look at this, which sounds like a a not very encouraging message, uh, I would like for us, as we look at this, to consider how we cannot underestimate. How can we avoid underestimating God and see these as, as ways in which he has um, put his plan in action for us? All right. So Genesis chapter 17 here, uh, starting in uh, the beginning of the chapter, we see Abraham and the covenant that is going to take place. This plan given to Abraham is the beginning of a genealogy genealogy that would lead to the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who will die a sinner's death, conquer sin and death, rise again, and is setting the stage for the culmination of God's great plan, the reunification of God's and his people. Right? If you remember back in Genesis, God created man. He created uh, us to have a perfect union, a perfect relationship with him. And then we got in the way. And we fouled it up. Mankind sinned and broke that perfect relationship. 
But that's God's plan for us, to have relationship with him. And so uh, God goes on to give to Abraham a plan to lead to the Savior, pave the way through his family, through his lineage, to provide that Savior, which is God's plan, to bring us back and give us an opportunity to be reconciled to himself and have that relationship restored so that we can uh, be with God in heaven for all of eternity. So here we see in verse 6, God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Here's the plan. I'm going to use you. And then he goes on further to explain how he's going to do this. In verse 15, he says, And God said to Abraham, verse 16, For your your wife Sarah, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. So you're like, oh, okay. So Abraham's going to be a daddy. Abraham's 90 plus years old, folks. How many of you here aren't quite 90 years old, but you're at an age maybe where you're thinking, yeah, right, me have a baby? Mm -mm." Anybody? Yeah. Okay, all the men are raising their hand. Okay, I got that. (laughs) Right. But ladies, right? What we see here uh, in verse 17 is going to be Abraham underestimating God's plan. Just in that one verse. Yes, it's Abraham. This is Abraham, the guy who has a son named Isaac, is told to go sacrifice him without skipping a beat. He's like, hey, Isaac, come on, we're going on a trip. Right? He, he had no question right there. But in the beginning here, when God lays out the plan, I'm going to give you a son, you're going to name him Isaac, and oh, by the way, Sarah's going to give birth to him. What's it say in verse 17? He laughs at God. Now, that may sound crazy, for a moment as we're in church that, oh, no, you can't laugh at God. But back up. How many of you have ever laughed at God? He's told you his plans for your life or what he expects for you, and you're like, <laughs> fat chance. Right? Underestimating God's plan. Sometimes we underestimate God's plan. We doubt he can do what he says that he can do. Maybe bad things happen to you or unforeseen things come, tragic things, and we cry out to God, no, why? Or maybe you're familiar with this one. you got to be kidding me, God. Anybody here besides me ever said, God, you got to be kidding me, right? We are currently in a, a season of, of life known as March And apparently college basketball has taken over March and it's called March Madness. And there are a lot of people that get upset, right? And you're rooting for your team and you're saying, you got to be kidding me, right? This last week, (laughs) hopefully he's not going to watch this. My father-in-law, I swear I could hear him screaming from my living room. (laughs) And all I have to say is Oral Roberts. That's all I got to say. Talk about upset. All of Buckeye Nation is screaming, you got to be kidding me. We understand that feeling. But you know what else? 
A year ago, we, we had the coronavirus stuff start. And, and we had uh, various things that were shut down, whatever. And we started going to the video for, for church. And for a pastor, I'll tell you, we don't like preaching to an empty room. All right? But if there was one day that pastors look forward to the most, we look forward to every Sunday. We want to see your face, right? But, but if there was one Sunday that's like the pivotal Sunday for a pastor, what Sunday is it? It's Easter. So you can imagine when we had to make that decision of putting Easter on video and not being together for Good Friday. That was kind of heartbreaking for us and, I'm sure, and for Pastor Mark. We talked about it a lot. And so fast forward to last Sunday night, I can just hear it in the back of Pastor Mark's mind as, as he broke bones in his body and found himself in a hospital needing surgery and, and, and just having... Easter's like, how many Sundays away? I can hear Mark saying, you gotta be kidding me! Two in a row? Come on, man! But you know what? God has a plan. We don't always know what it is, usually until after it's already completed, and then we look back with hindsight and we're like, oh, I like your plan better than my God. That was awesome, right? Well, I'll tell you what. Thankfully, if you've been following social media, you've seen as Amanda has posted on Facebook at the beginning, they started this whole hospital visit. She put out a plea for, uh, for help, for prayer, that they can be a good testimony, a light for the Lord in the hospital. It wasn't focused on, oh no, my husband's broken and we need to... I'm sure she had those thoughts, but you know what? Our pastor and his wife, I thank God for them every day, just having that kind of a focus. And you know what? God did have a plan. Because we have found out since then that nurses have noticed their testimony and their attitude. We received word from one of those nurses that they appreciated that and actually gave a financial donation to our church in honor of Pastor Mark. See, now it's not about the money part of it, but that aspect that she was touched in such a way that she felt the need to reciprocate or respond in some way. And praise the Lord. What, what took place just in those few days in the hospital wouldn't have happened if he didn't fall and break a hip. God's plan is perfect. Don't underestimate his plan. Now we're going to be jumping around through uh, the life of Israel here. So we're going to be just jumping and getting some highlights or in some cases lowlights uh, of Israel. So uh, jump ahead in your scriptures to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. This is now uh, you have Abraham. Now you have Isaac. And uh, now we have Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob uh, has... Uh, the responsibility of now leading God's people. And so God is uh, here. This is uh, don't underestimate God's protection, okay? God's protection. So Jacob has Israel, and there's a great famine that's taking over, and they're going to go hungry. And, you know, you're asking yourself, could it be that God's plan for, for his people is going to come to a starving halt? The answer is no. God uses Jacob's son, Joseph, as an instrument of protection for God's people. And if that's not enough, God goes on to put on a clinic or a display of how he can protect 
who and how he wants to through the life of Joseph. And as we jump through some of this, we see in uh, chapter 37 and verse 18, uh, Joseph has a few brothers. And they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, the brothers conspired to throw a birthday party for Joseph. Right? Because that's what you'd do, siblings, for your siblings. Conspire together to throw the greatest birthday party? No, the answer, you know. They were conspiring to kill him. Now, I won't ask if you ever conspired to kill your family member, your brother, your sister. But they literally, we probably think that because they drive you nuts, right? But these guys were actually going to go through with it. They threw them in a pit, and they were just thinking, how do we, how do we off them? Which, which, what do we do? But you know what? God protects, protects Joseph. Here come the Ishmaelites and this new idea to, well, instead of killing them, why don't we just sell them off? You mean getting sold into slavery is protection? Yeah. God protected the life of Joseph by having him sold into slavery. And then later on in chapter 39, he's bought by Potiphar. And he, he does such a good job working for Potiphar. He, he's risen up to the head of the, the household under Potiphar and is managing everything of the household. So God's taking care of him. He's protecting him in that fashion. And then comes along, verses 6 through 20, Potiphar's wife who takes a liking to this guy. And when Joseph denies her advances, well, the roller coaster continues. He gets sent back to prison. But you know what? God is protecting him still. Because while he's in prison, along comes an opportunity to interpret dreams as he did back with his brothers, right? To interpret dreams. And Pharaoh needs his dreams interpreted, and here comes Joseph. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams, as we know, in chapter 41, and uh, rises to second in command of all of Egypt. God is still protecting Joseph as a means to protect all of Israel. Because as we move into chapter 46, we see that Joseph brings his family into Egypt. Here is his family struggling with famine. The brothers came to try and find some food or barter for food from Egypt. Uh, and Joseph uh, managed, we won't go through the whole dialogue there, but in the end, Joseph brings all of uh, his family into Egypt for their protection. Joseph, no doubt, experienced many moments of vulnerability as God guided him to uh, his place in Egypt. This is a foreign place to Joseph where I'm sure he felt alone at times. But God was with him always. How about you? How about me? In, in our moments of vulnerability, we too may feel completely isolated and alone. But you know what? You and I, we don't have to. For one, you can look around the room brothers and sisters in Christ. And more than that, we have the Holy Spirit residing within us if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, you can trust in Him today and you can be never alone for all of eternity. You can have the Holy Spirit in your life as well. Trust in Him and receive the protection or the adoption that only God can provide. Galatians chapter 4 talks about being adopted into the family of God. And I'll tell you right now, parents, who on this earth are you going to protect more than anyone else? 
your kids. So just, just imagine, parents, if you will, that how much you care and love your kids and are going to protect them, how much more is God going to protect you? Christian here today, when trials come, when life is hard, we need to remember who will never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews tells us. It's our great comfort or excuse me, He, God, is our great comfort and protector. He's a mighty fortress. Psalm 46 tells us He is our refuge. He is our place of protection. The cities of refuge, that's where people would go if they um, were uh, accidentally killed somebody. Right? Believe it or not, accidental deaths happen. Right? And, and if I accidentally was uh, the cause of somebody's death and, and they were wanting to come and persecute me, I could go to one of these cities and find refuge there. God is that place for you, for me. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is there to protect you. And as a little kid, run into the Father's arms. Kenzie bumped her head something fierce the other day and just let out a wail. And and that's just sad to see and to hear. Uh, And the thing that just kind of melts me is when she's coming at me, Daddy, and wants me, right? Because she knows there's safety in Daddy's arms. I get her at night and hold on to her to put her to bed, and she goes, Daddy, I'm safe. No joke. I'm not making this up for illustration's sake. This is real. That is God. We can go into his arms and find protection. Exodus chapter 1. Jump ahead into, into Exodus if you would. Israel's story continues. It was pretty good because you've got Joseph who's second in command of Egypt. So I'm sure life was great. But then comes chapter 1. Verse 1 of Exodus, and it says uh, here that, whoops, excuse me, excuse me, so actually in verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and that is not going to be good for Israel. Because at this point, that's when Israel uh, started becoming enslaved and put to work. Potiphar, or Potiphar, not quite, Pharaoh put them to work. But he also recognized that there was uh, going to be a little bit of a, a population issue with the Hebrews because they were uh, obeying God's command to be fruitful and multiply and were growing in number. And he was getting a little bit scared that something was going to happen here. They're going to get so big that they're going to get to numbers where they're just going to take over us. So enter uh, maybe one of the first illustrations of population control. Pharaoh decided, you know what? All male babies, all male children, when they are born, put them to death. That seems a little harsh. But so was Pharaoh. Not only does God, uh, excuse me, back up. Moses, who is to be the leader of God's people, right? He is supposed to bring them out of slavery and deliver them to the land that God has promised. Well, Moses is a male child, and he's born, and he's supposed to be put to death. But you know what? He has uh, a mom that uh, loves him so much, not that the other moms didn't, but uh, she tried to hide him, and when it got to a point where she could hide him no longer, chapter 2, verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took 
him, put him into a basket, and as you recall, put him out in the river and, and sent him down the river, right? She didn't want to kill her son, so she, she let him go and, and prayed to the Lord that, that he'd be taken care of. And as you continue on through the story, you recognize that um, God preserves Moses, right? So this is the don't underestimate God's preservation, right? He's going to preserve his people, and he does that through preserving Moses' life. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him and wants to raise, her, raise him as her own son. So he's preserving his life in this fashion, but I'd also suggest he's preserving him in a far greater way in the sense that she needed somebody to nurse and raise this kid to a certain age. And who do you think God orchestrated to take care of Moses? Moses' own mother, right? The sister suggests, hey, I've got a lady for you that could, could come and nurse him. And so Moses' own mother is there, and you could just imagine in those early years uh, being able to, to, to teach her son, care for her son. God preserves Moses as a means to preserve his own people. Exodus chapter 3, jump over to verses 9 and 10. God says to Moses, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is why he's preserving them, because he has a plan. God always has a plan. He is preserving Moses. What about us, church? God's promise to preserve us as well. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is preserving you. So I would ask, what are you doing about that? What are you doing with that? God preserved Moses, and after a few excuses that eventually got kind of squelched by the Lord, Moses obeyed and followed God's instruction, and he brought Israel out of slavery. That's what he was preserved for, and he did it. What are you being preserved for? You're obviously all still here, breathing, right? Everybody awake? What's God preserving you for? Moses gave some lame excuses, but ultimately obeyed and was used of God to free Israel. Christians, we're called to live a Christ-like life. We are called to make more and better disciples in Matthew chapter 28. We're called to be salt and light, Matthew 5.13. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the church is the mouthpiece by which the good news of God goes forth. We are responsible. We're tasked with the gospel and sharing that with the world. So are you? Are we? It's not just as Carol First Baptist Church about the gospel, but are you individually child of God about the gospel? Because the church is not these walls, right? The church is you, me, us. He's preserving us to share the good news. Exodus chapter 7 through 14, we see uh, the power of God. Don't underestimate the power of God. My time's flying by, so I have to fly too. Let's go. The power of God. Egypt underestimated the power of God. We see it on display in the ten plagues. God's all-powerful, and he is able to allow these plagues to come forth. We see in chapter 13 the pillars of cloud and fire. 
They're out of Egypt. They're, they're wandering around. How do they know where to go? God, in his power, creates this cloud to follow by day in this pillar of, of fire to follow by night. That's the power of God. I haven't seen any of you do things like that lately or ever. Some of you like your pyrotechnics, but good luck on that one. And the one that maybe we're all probably the most familiar with in chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10, starting in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? You're going to find, as you go through the life of Israel here, that they're a little bit overdramatic, right? And they whine and complain a lot. And they use the same complaint over and over again. So as God is showing his power time and time again, they don't seem to get it because then comes another situation and they forget about the power of God. Here they have the Red Sea before them, an angry army behind them, and they're like, really, Moses, you brought us out so that we could die here? We were fine back in Egypt. Fine, really? I heard the oppression that you were... I don't think you were fine. We see the power of God displayed as he parts the Red Sea and they walk right through. We see the power of God as that sea collapses over top of the army of Pharaoh, killing them, eliminating the threat. My question for us is, where in your life are you underestimating the power of God? Is it with your heart? Is it with your finances, your future, your family? Is it with this country? Is it with our governments? Is it with the virus stuff? Is it with, what is it with? Because if Israel, who is able to see those kinds of things taking place, has a struggle, how much more struggle might we face not being able to see the Red Sea part? We need to trust in the power of God. This is the God who has the power to create everything from nothing. He has the power to protect, to preserve, to provide. And he does those things. Surely he's capable to take care of anything else that we may be facing. It's the great power that not only paid the penalty for all mankind, but also rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. This is an all-powerful God. He is omnipotent. What can God, or excuse me, what can't God do? I was corrected this morning when I said that. There is one thing God can't do, and we should be very happy and grateful. Sin. But I think you understand when I ask the question, what can't God do? There is nothing under the sun that you may be struggling with that God doesn't have the power to help with. Next, don't underestimate the provision of God. Exodus 16 and 17. Uh, again, my brain, I, I don't know why I've got flannel graph brain going on in these last couple messages, but that, 
I remember these stories from Flannel Graph, right? Uh, but here's a spot where God's providing. So again, we see Israel complaining. First, they're at the Red Sea. God, what are you doing here? And we can't get through and we're going to die. Why don't we just go back to Egypt? Okay, we'll part the Red Sea. You think that would be the moment, the come to Jesus moment for you right there when you see God provide, right? But no, they get to a spot where their stomach is grumbling, just kind of like yours is right now because noon's approaching. And you're like, or excuse me, not you, but Israel is like, man, why did you bring us out here just to starve to death? Seriously? So what does God do? He rains down manna from heaven, right? So every morning they could get up and they could get their food as much as they, they could eat, and they, they were filled. God's provision. Well, chapter 17, now they're thirsty. Moses, why did you bring us out here so that we could thirst to death? At least when we were in Egypt, we had water. All right. Lord's power on display again. Moses, I want you to strike that rock and water's going to come forth. Enough for everybody to, to satisfy their thirst. Never underestimate the Lord's provision. God sent Jesus to meet our greatest need of all. We needed something. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans tells us that the wages of sin, what I need to pay for that is death. That, that's, what, that's what I deserve is death, eternal separation from God. That's a pretty hefty ticket to pay. But again, God has a plan to reconcile us to himself, and he does that through the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29. And lastly, as we close here, never underestimate God's promises. Genesis 17, we saw God make a promise to Abraham. He's going to make you a great nation. And what happened? He became a great nation. God promised a land flowing with milk and honey. And what happened? Exodus chapter 4, that was the promise. And Joshua, what did he do? He led them into that land. And they occupied it. And Joshua says, wherever your feet may tread, that will be yours. God promised it, it will be there, regardless of who's already occupying that land. Amen? What has God promised us? Believe in him and you'll have everlasting life, John 3.16. That's a promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13, that's a promise. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's a promise. 2 Corinthians 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, that's a promise. I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 3, that's a promise. God promises a Savior. We have him, folks. God promised salvation. We have it. We have access to it. God promised to never leave us. He hasn't. And where we put our hope, Jesus promised to return. And I tell you right now, based on the authority of Scripture, He will. Where in your life are you underestimating God's promises? Are you underestimating his promises? Or are, are you struggling maybe and you're underestimating how he's going to provide for you? Some of you, you struggle with underestimating his power. Maybe it's him pre preserving you for something specific. Maybe you underestimate his protection because you see things just not quite working out the way that you, you want and people are getting hurt and dying and things of that nature. 
Or maybe you're just totally and utterly underestimating God's plan for you altogether. Carol First Baptist Church, never underestimate God's plan for you, for us as a church. Pastor Mark took a fall. Our under-shepherd is not here today in this room. Why, God? Why? God, what's your plan with this? You know what? I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know. We can look back and say, oh, this is an answer to, to that, maybe this or that. But, but ultimately, like, God, what is your purpose here? I can tell you this. You know this verse real well. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God's got a plan, and it is going to work out. So take my suggestion. I need to take my suggestion, right? You need to take this suggestion. Get on that car and ride it. God's driving. God's driving. Keep your eyes open. And can I tell you, be encouraged as you look at your life and look for God's plan. Look for how God is protecting, preserving, and, and how God's power is on display. Look for and be grateful for how he is providing for you. Because, folks, we can stand on the promises of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we've had to open your word and be challenged from uh, the, the life of Israel, their successes and their mistakes. God, help us this day to be encouraged that you are on the throne, that you are in control, and that all of these things in which we have talked about this morning, you got it. You got it. Help us to remember this. Help us to put our faith and trust in you each and every single day. For the unbeliever to put their faith and trust in you for their eternal salvation, and for the believer to put their faith and trust in you every single day to sustain them, to sustain us, to know that you have a plan for us and help us to understand what that is and how we can best be used of you to communicate the good news of the gospel of Christ to those around us. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. You are the